a bit cold there. <laughs> it's freezing. I think we're in the shade. It's actually a glorious summer day. Probably about 21 degrees out there. It's lovely. But we're under the shade. I wonder if people can hear the sea. If we if we just hear people talking, but there is. Have to trust us that we are, waves. we are by the by the sea today. Down where are, where south, are we, Jeff? Down on the south coast, in uh, in Boscombe, just down the about a mile and a half down the road from Bournemouth Pier. It's very beautiful down here. Uh, out on a coast coastal cafe called Urban Reef. Uh, it's one of our collaboration days. Mm -hmm. Take time out now and again to uh, come up with some new ideas, bounce some new ideas around, and. Um, do a podcast as well. We've ordered some drinks, but they haven't arrived yet. What did you order? A Yippie Kai Ale. A lovely play on words. You've got to have one of those. Reminds me. What film was that from? Jeff, remember the film that that's? It's a Die Hard. Oh, it's Die Hard. Oh, very good. Is it I Die Hard say, one or two? It's the first one. It's I won't say one. the full quote because it's yeah. contains it's expli uh, an expletive. With, uh, ah. um, yes. Yeah, we've ordered the drinks. Yeah, apparently it's a. Uh, a citrus IPA, a local local made citrus IPA. And I've ordered a pint of Devon Red, which of course is cider, that's all I drink. Um, but it was described as a sweet cider, so I've, I've ordered that. It's 4.5% proof. I'm saying that's, that's a lie, that's not all you drink. <laughs> <laughs> On these podcasts, pubcasts, yes it is. So, uh, okay. Yeah, well, we're. We're down here to, uh, well, amongst other things, look at, we've had quite a few requests for a new advanced scrum master class, and we're actually thinking, we'll update it for 2017. Yeah. We've had, it's a strange thing, we've had, both of us have had some, a glut of requests over the last few weeks. Um, yeah, it seems to have, an interest has emerged, so we need to go back, readdress it, and uh, Add some, we've got, probably got some new material we need to add to it and um, freshen it up. Probably for 2017, we're thinking, aren't we? Yeah. Something early next 2017. Early next year. And uh, it's obviously something that close to both our hearts, really, the idea of enabling great teams and developing Scrum Masters, providing them with, uh, with development opportunities that they just often don't get elsewhere. Yeah. You know, it's not, not textbook stuff. And um, just reading, I actually I was listening, listening to the radio. Uh, I'm not not a huge rugby fan, but um, anything to do with, with teamwork catches my interest. And I heard an interesting story about a rugby team, rugby league team Hull, who uh, who are doing quite well at the moment and in top of the league and cup finals and things. But uh, a while ago, they were at their lowest point and they locked their coach out of the dressing room at the end of a match. Well, at they, the end of the match? At the end of the match. Really? They'd been, they'd been hammered. They'd been beaten. Beaten badly. Really? And they got rid of all the coaching staff. The senior players told them to, to leave the dressing room and they locked the door. Wow. And how would you feel as a coach in that situation? I don't... It's difficult. I, but, but then at least they take... I assume it's because they felt responsible for what had happened and they, they wanted to you know, deal with it. As a, would that make me feel quite proud as a coach that they were willing to take that on the chin themselves? Like, or should I feel like I should throw myself under the bus at that point? Well, I but that's what sports coaches are a bit different to what, how we work, I suppose. I think in most cases they are, but there's obviously some, some significant overlaps. And there are times when 
you get uh, a different type of, of lead. I know there are different types of sports coaches, aren't there? Yeah. But I think, drawing that analogy, my initial reaction was, putting myself in that position, I'd probably feel a bit immediately insecure. Yeah. Thinking, okay, what are they saying? Uh, is my position, have I, that phrase, lost the dressing room? Yeah. Because um, a lot of managers get fired for, or coaches get fired for that. In, yeah. In, in sporting terms. But he was, he was quite, quite confident. Yeah. He brushed it off. So I needed to go speak to the media anyway. I needed to do my interviews, uh, and I was quite confident that uh, that the team, the senior players, were, were <coughs> going to handle this themselves. Yeah. And you know, the players, when they were asked about it, when when it all came out, said, "Well, yeah, we we let ourselves down, uh, and we wanted to." No holds barred, you know, safe environment with no coaches looking on. We wanted to all air our grievances, get everything out on the table, and work out what happened, and so we don't do it again. Yeah, <clears throat> it was a funny. Rad- Lee Radford, I think his name was the, the coach. He says, you know, I completely understand where they're coming from. Getting rid of all the other staff. The last thing you want when you've been beaten badly is to have a protein shake thrust in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, fair play. I mean, this, I've heard similar things a lot in the NBA where um, players have, or I think some of the players substituted one of their own players because of something they said disrespectful they said to the coach. Mm. So they basically, they, they basically said, no, you're going to sit this out for yeah. what you said. And they kind of, almost like a player's revolt, but on, the, on themselves, mm. to, where there was a, a level of disrespect. Um, that they showed to another member of their team. The coach mm. was one of them, a member of the team, and the, the, one of the players said something, um, either hurtful or disrespectful, mm. and they said, no, that's not acceptable. Until until you've had a good think about that, you're going to sit out the next quarter, basically. Yeah. And, and that, but then the, the difference is that that player accepted that, that response, mm. you know. Um, there, there are huge differences. There's no point, no getting away from that. But even and then the scrum master is a, is a huge anomaly, really, in, in many ways, in any kind of leadership position, because they have no authority. A coach obviously does have some authority, but in any sport, a coach, even if you have full authority, once they step over that line and they're on court, you can't, you can't control them. No. Um, you, you, know, need to, they, you need to have given them the skills to be able to react to the situation they face and put, they're, they're facing. Yeah. Um, and scrum masters, that's the. It's not the edge case. That's everything. Really. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's what they do. <coughs> that's that's the modus operandi by default. But you do. I mean, in some of the more mature teams, um, experienced team, com- teams that are comfortable with in their own skin to a degree will exhibit similar behaviours in a daily scrum for example mm-hmm. if a member of the team uh, isn't working on something they should do or they're spending a long, longer time than is necessary working on something yeah. I've been in many situations before where I've seen another member of that team call it out and say hang on a minute that doesn't you'll be working on that three days ago mm. why are you still doing it mm. and Willing to accept that that criticism and that that feedback, I think is a sign of a, a sign of strength. And something as as a scrum master, and the, I know the guy who was scrum mastering at that point, he t- he that's he took that as a sense. Yeah, we're, we're getting somewhere now because these guys are listening properly and they're taking responsibility for their own commitments. And when they're breaking each other amongst themselves, if those commitments are being broken or they're under threat, they're reacting to it. That's all you can wish for as a scrum master, in my view. So why doesn't that happen all the time? 
I think I, th I think some teams are still coming to terms with the. I don't think they feel truly fully accountable for to each other yet, and I think that's um, that's an environmental thing as well as a personal thing. Um, if if the, if there's no um, safety that they feel able to, to question and able to to slow down that process, then they'll just try and hide that. But equally, if I don't trust you. Um, and I think you're gonna sell me out. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put my head above the parapet. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna raise. Uh, I'm not gonna threaten you with that type of feedback. Yes, please. And Devon Ray. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely touch. Drinks have just arrived. Cheers. Cheers, Jeff. Oh, that's nice. That's proper sweet. You've got it in an old-fashioned Coronation Street-style um, <laughs> jug there, Jeff. I like that. Very British. Very British. Old point Should take a photo. I'm going to take a photo of that while we talk, and I'll put it on the podcast. No, you're right. That, that sense of accountability, that sense of um, responsibility to one another, and that, that can be personal, it can be um, organisational, cultural. But Because we, we do it, if you think about when we do it ordinarily, day-to-day -day lives, family mm. life... Um, you would call out that behaviour, and sometimes we 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 don't want to hurt people's feelings. But um, I had a recent si a family situation. I won't go into it here because it's, it's personal. But there was a family situation where something hadn't been something kind of got um, left unsaid. Okay. And then the longer it went on, the more it ate away at me. Mm. And then in the end, I, I I had to kind of say something. But then. It raised a lot of family tension and family emotion, but we kind of had to do that. And I think the key for me here is why did you feel able to do that? Because you knew it was going to be difficult. Because I knew fundamentally that I still cared about the person that I was telling. Okay, so you cared about them. And I didn't want them to... Yeah. And did you feel safe and secure that relationship could stand that? Yes. Yeah. I, knew, I knew that we better, and it's inevitably we still loved each other, so it's not, you know, I'm not talking about marital things here. This, this is a relationship between me and my sister, but this is um, it's a brotherly, sisterly thing that we kind of, you know, we had to, I had to tell her those things, but I did it because I cared about her. Yeah. I think that, um, that analogy of family it's a tricky one but uh, often the, when I ask people about the best teams they've been in they will say it was like being part of yeah. a family yeah you do and I think that familial respect that security that you get that you know no, no matter how much we argue we will still be brother and sister we still be yeah um, part of this family that relationship will endure mm. So we can be, we can respectfully disagree. We can pull each other up on these things. We can tell them when, when that isn't working for us, and know that it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think the best teams have that security, both within themselves, but also organisationally. Yeah. Um, I think even or, or even across teams, organisationally, you can still have a family identity. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not. I mean, so I, I worry sometimes people think that scrum teams can be quite tribal in terms of, you know, this is, this is us and mm -hmm. we need to protect us. But I think you can still 
grow that family feeling across that that, that community across hundreds, thousands of people mm. if the the same principles exist exist around. Yeah. And the and the wider you go, the bigger you go. This is a this is a much bigger conversation I suppose than we've got time for here, but the wider you go, the more people you're talking about, the the, the higher level cultural similarities you're talking about so rather than perhaps specific behaviors at the team level yeah where you match and you agree and you coordinate at the, at the organizational level you are talking cultural values yeah. um, but those those team values that you have should should very much be aligned with the, the overall organizational values. Of course, yeah and I think that's for me at least where you know, scrum masters focus their efforts and you know, every week every week I'll get asked so how can you get how can you get more engagement from your team? How, how do you make sure that people in the team are stepping up, are are doing what they say they're going to be doing, and well, those, those kinds of things? Uh, and that's yeah, this ultimately that's what you're looking for as a scrum master. Language, yeah, dependent, but it's that's the heart of what we've just been talking about there. It's that sense of accountability, that sense of team, that sense of safety, that, that, that those cultural values and expectations and norms. And it's not about enforcing particular behaviours or rules as a scrum And in fact, the more that you do that, the less engagement you get. Yeah. In many situations. Mm. It's interesting. I was again. I was talking to one of my good friends um, recently, who's a scrum master. Um, and he was saying he's got an interesting kind of dynamic within his company at the moment. Um, they've got a few teams that are very productive mm. in terms of you know, in terms of the lines of code, in terms of you know the stories that they can show into. Very productive, but kind of not the happiest. But then they've got some teams that are very happy, like you know very care, almost carefree, but yeah. not as productive. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an interesting thing as organisationally they're trying to assess what, what should we what do we measure what should we measure here as which teams are most successful, which teams are the best teams? Mm. Is it a team that's happy, you know, that enjoy their work and be enjoy being together um, as a team, but don't perhaps produce so much? Or is it a team that's deadly quiet? Diligent yeah. and producing high, you know, an awful lot. But yeah, I, I think it's still it's interesting. Happiness is obviously something which is very subjective. Some teams are happy to, to sit in silence. That's kind of how they work, and mm-hmm. they, they they love that kind of quiet, ambient nature to just just get on with it, you know, just just plod away. But I think the, the bonds can still be very strong in that team, mm. even though they might not be running around the office chest bumping all the time you know yeah. that type of thing so what you're saying there is that you've got some teams that are really happy but not necessarily the most productive some teams that are really productive but not happy yeah. which is the most successful yeah. my instinct tells me that I'd probably want I'd probably want to encourage both of those teams to look and the organisations and the organisations that they're in to look at how they can improve because I don't think you want a really really happy team that's not delivering anything but equally you don't want delivery at all costs yeah we're, we're we're paid to work right we're paid to produce something of value um, and so we we have a, an obligation to do that but equally I think employers now have an obligation to provide a, a, a happy uh, productive safe 
uh, and but supportive environment. Even the word happy days, you've got to be very careful how you assess morale, isn't it? Because morale is something that you can't really just assess from walking into a room. No, true. It's something that you've got to be able to... Eat. Well, yeah, well, let's question that. Let me, let me question that, because I think I can pretty... I, I would like to think that I can walk into a room and I can get a pretty good feel for, for the morale. You think? Yeah, I think so. What defines that for you, then? I don't know. I've never thought of it. I'm just making a bold statement here that, that I believe I can do that. And I'd, I'd look at the body language. I'd look at the energy. I'd look at the, the concentration. I'd look at... I think you can feel tension. I think you can feel pressure, even if you can't see it. Mm. Um, maybe I, th I can think of an example of a very, a very quiet team that are still one of the best performing teams in the company. Yeah. I don't think it's always a measure of loudness no. or um, extrovert yeah, in terms of... I think there's a comfortable quiet and an uncomfortable quiet. I think, I can, I think it's possible to tell the difference between the two. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I, I misread situations as well, but I think there's... I think it is possible to sense that and actually... Um, I remember... You know, from our personal history, but also a lot of the companies that we work with now, having somebody neutral who hasn't been part of that scene mm. just come in, they get an instant reaction. Mm. That because you're in the middle of it, you might not pick up on. No. Um, it's just become normal, you know, it's just become accepted. And having that, that independent mirror, effectively, mm. to say, well, this is, this is, do you know what I'm picking up these kinds of vibes here? I was just having a chat just last night, actually, back on the rugby theme, but not kind of related. Bath Rugby last season sacked their coach, okay. a man called Mike Ford. Um, and but that was the decision to, to, to fire him was basically created by the club owner hired a consultant to come in and do an independent review of the club, which involved basically speaking to all the staff, mm. all um, and, and you just looking at, um, visibly looking at all the, the training, everything that was going on, speaking to all the senior players, and um, spotted things that, the, that no one else kind of saw. It's that kind of, this guy um, clearly doesn't get on with this guy, um, there's a click, a click that's formed that no one's kind of picked up on, um, and that inevitably led to the demise of that match, because the, the owner wanted a, an objective view of the state of his rugby club. Um, that wasn't kind of because mm. things do get do get uh, misjudged or biased by whoever's in in certain positions. So um, that's I, interesting. I'm actually going to take a, a slightly different stance to the one I took a minute ago. Then, uh, which and I tell scrum masters this all the time, and I tell product owners this. I tell leaders and managers this, everything that you do and everything that you don't do will have an impact on behaviour, yeah. whether you intend it or not. Yeah. And while that, the owner of that rugby club has achieved a result yeah. and potentially you know, unearthed some information that they wouldn't have been aware of and maybe sacking the coach was the right thing and they end up with a better coach or whatever, yeah. now every time that owner hires a consultant yeah, exactly. or asks questions, you know, yeah. feedback and input, people are going to be worried whether they're going to lose their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's... Yeah, the best scrum masters, the best leaders, the best players, all those are overly aware of the impact that they're having. It's interesting because just this last week, I 
I sat, I unannounced, I went and sat in on a, a what was an estimation session. Okay. I didn't tell the people that were doing it I was going to be there. I just, I mean, it's a company I've, I've known fairly well, but I, I just, dro- just dropped into the room mm. and sat on the chair. And it's, do I, is this my own perception, but do I believe the, the behaviours change purely because I'm there? Almost definitely. And this, you were trying to, me, I was trying to get an, a neutral view, fly on the wall view of how things happen. It's impossible. It is, isn't it? The act of observing something inev- inevitably changes the behaviour of being observed. I can't remember who said that. <laughs> and because we're. But then, surely that makes our job as a coach almost artificial. Well, no. But you're never, are you ever really seeing the okay. real situation? But if you know you're not seeing the real situation, you can take the current situation that's not real and think, well, where has it moved from? Yeah, but then you're making a judgment. Sure, but you can, you can play it back, right? And maybe you can see things over time, you know, which is why you're looking at a longer-term engagement yeah. as a coach. You're looking at patterns. And so I, um, I was at my, my daughter started to come back to school, and you know, at the first assembly of term, anyone can attend, parents can attend to, and, and the principal was giving the, her opening speech. And one of the things, she was talking about lots of different things, all really good information for the girls, but um, one of the things she said was, a woman's a bit like a tea bag. <laughs> Careful where you go. Exactly. And um, you never know how strong she is until she's in hot water. Oh, and I think yeah. that idea of you never really know what's going on until a team or a person is under a bit of pressure. Yeah. And that's when the true values come out. And so that's where, as a as a coach, I find I add the most value simply because you see what you you, re, you revert to. You know what, what you're what you do unconsciously. What you're, what you're unconscious. Uh, responses and habits are yeah and so uh, the more the more you're with a team the more of those situations you'll see yeah and but that's the beauty of the scrum master is it and it, I still have arguments to this day with with people in courses about how much time do you spend should you spend scrum master yeah and it's those it's those times that you perhaps don't plan for when you need to be a scrum master the most absolutely it's when it's when the phone call comes in, and nobody knows. No, what's the people's default response? And that's where you—that's where you need to apply the coaching. Yeah, you to need that. to absolutely right. You need to be there for the times that aren't planned. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's about accumulating data points as well. Like when I'm not a scientist, but I know that the more you observe something, the more data points you get, the yeah. more informed your conclusions are. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you just see a, a team for an hour a day yeah. or two days a week or something like that or even worse you know a day a month you're not going to get a realistic overview and no. of course there may be times when that person doesn't look like they're actively doing anything yeah. but they are they're accumulating information not for their benefit yeah. but for the team and the organisation's benefit so you've almost got to have enough evidence to almost be able to predict what, what you think would happen and then if you can prove what happened you've got reason to, to question it I mean, I see quite a lot of scrum masters just purely like the, the scrum masters that jump on top of people when they when they keep perhaps when they talk about the same things over and over or re- repeat themselves or shut, shut people up during daily scrums. It's just it's becoming a a process kind of monkey rather than actually a coach. Mm. Well, there are, there's a 
Yeah, there, there are a lot of and there are a lot of scrum masters that have that approach, and actually, yeah, there are times when that might be an appropriate response. It's not all nicey nicey, softly softly. I say nothing. I just listen all the time. There, there are times when a scrum master will, you know, actually take take the ball by the horns, grasp the nettle, and all those other other analogies, and say, well, hold on a minute, stop. For example, you're facilitating something, you want to keep to time, you don't want things distracting. So, well, no, this, this is why we're here, this is the purpose. Let's just stick to that. Or maybe a conversation is getting disrespectful and we remind the, the team of you know, our, our rules of engagement and our respectful strategies and things like that. But that shouldn't always be your strategy, surely? No, absolutely not. No, 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 no scrum master can be effective if they adopt that. But there's, you know, there's a whole range of of leadership styles and the, the coercive style is is one of them you know do as I say and there is there are times when even even a servant leader even a, someone yeah. with no authority like a scrum master will actually adopt that for the benefit of the team the challenge is well the, the problem is is when that's too much of a default yeah. and that that act is not because the team need it, it's to satisfy that person's need to be in control. Yeah. Uh, and that's when that person doesn't get the, the respectful response and the team push away from them. I think also, that you, I, I think you're right, and also if, the t if that is the opinion of the team, if the team believe, even if the person doesn't, doesn't believe that themselves, yeah. the scrum, if the team believe that the Scrum Master is doing it for their own mm. gratification, then they they will divorce themselves from that from the activity. Yeah. So I think that I mean, that sometimes can be a personality, and that could also sometimes be a, an environmental, cultural, departmental thing. That if that person in charge has always been someone who exerts an authority to lead and, and to own and to chair those meetings, then mm. teams will always follow that kind of that process. Quite windy. It's <laughs> picked up, isn't it? You probably hear the wind on the on the podcast. Apologies I'm hoping for that. that my my body will shield me. Not a lot we can do about that. But um, yeah, and, and one of the you know, the questions I often ask with regards to this accountability within the team and why aren't the team stepping up and taking ownership and engaging and things is well, what happens? What happens if things go wrong? Right. So the scrum master feels the urge to step in when yeah. when there's a question or a problem that hasn't been solved or, or some remedial action needs to be taken. The Scrum Master feels the urge to take, step in and take control. Why is that? Usually it's because if, if you followed things through to the ultimate extreme of the, the final consequences, the Scrum Master would be held to account yeah. somewhere within the organisation. Either actually or just, you know, that's the person that people frown at. Yeah. Uh, and if that's the case, then of course they want to avoid that situation. Right? They're incentivized to avoid that situation as well. Yeah. And the team aren't. Yeah. So it, there's, there's got to be a conversation at some point, even if it's not an actual conversation, yeah, a, a metaphorical conversation that needs to be had at the organizational level of, well, who are the people that we are entrusting, in, uh, empowering uh, to, to do the work and expecting? Yeah. To step up, and if there are mixed messages going on, that's just going to cause all sorts of confusion. People are just going to want to make sure that their back is covered. Yeah, true. Fear is a is probably the number one human driver. Yeah, fear of judgment, fear of consequence. Uh, it's, it, it drives so much of our behaviour, and the scrum master can acknowledge that and, and address that. Leaders can address that. 
the ones that do get by far the best and the quickest reactions and responses. Yeah, I think sometimes the Scrum Masters, how I used to do it as well, was to an extent was to provoke, was was to was to try and provoke a response. I mean, without trying to ask leading questions, questions like what what do we as a team, what do we feel about that 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 kind of thing. In retrospect, to saying. What, well, giving them the hypothetical situation. So, the, what would we do in the event of this team crisis, or you know, the, 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 the we lose this client? How do we respond? Just to see, try and test the water of what a team, how a team would actually respond. And you get, you do get to the some of the the, the, the depths of how a team fundamentally believes they they will be affected by it. If they kind of wash their hands of it and think, well, it's not really our problem. It's the, the whole thing around committing to sprints and fail, failing sprints and that mm. type of thing as well. So that product owners should be able to expect, you know, teams should be able to commit to, I think, be able to commit to product owners and, and see it through. And should feel some sense of guilt mm. if they don't. Mm. Um, and that's not a personal thing, that's a, a, team, a collective team guilt that we haven't, we as, as a group haven't delivered what we said we would deliver. I mean, I'm sure, uh, sure Mike Cohn blogged about that once recently about how teams should feel a little bit guilty if they don't achieve everything. And I agree, I agree. There's that, the, the challenge there for, for the Scrum Master is that, that delicate balance. You want them to feel a little bit guilty, but you don't want them to worry too much about that no. potential guilt that they undercommit. The world or, isn't, yeah. Or, or yeah, don't take responsibility. It's amazing how many people in training courses that I speak to that will say, well, my default is to under. under under command over deliver. Yeah. And I think that's the and Even that shows through even like in the ballpoint game, in just little simple exercises that we're doing in a training course where nobody really cares. Mm. But they're still well let's just go for this because you know, err on the side of caution and then if we over deliver then But Scrum isn't really a surprised it's not surprise driven, is it? We no. don't we don't really like surprises. Trying to avoid surprises. Yeah. And they'll we're say, expecting them because we know things are going to unknown and the things are going to emerge and change. But there's nothing worse as a product owner being be confronted in the sprint review by saying, you know, well, the team think it's fun, but we, we thought we were going to do this, but we actually did all this, mm. which sounds great. But in fact, if you're a product owner trying to organise training and releases, deployments, and cli- lining up clients, that's a logistical nightmare mm. for a lot of software products, certainly, because it's just not that simple. Deployments aren't that simple. Hmm. If I if I may, I, I'll pick up something you actually just used as a as a small bit of garnish to that story, which is uh, surprising how in a game like the ballpoint game, teams will exhibit certain behaviours, and that as well as my my you know tea bag, you know, has some strong summaries until they're in yeah, crisis. Yeah. Put them in a in a completely un stressful environment, a game, yeah. where they don't think there's anything to do with it, yeah. and you'd be surprised how many behaviours that they exhibit, yeah. so, I tend to call that parallel processing, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's coming out, what, what would naturally come out in the work environment, in, a, in a, an unthreatening environment. Again, I don't want to give the impression that we're, we're trying to manipulate people and, and <laughs> say, ha ha ha, look at but, that. But as an extent, a scrum master's got to be able to do that, they've got to yeah. be able to un- unearth what the, the, the default behaviour is. For the team's benefit, yeah. right? because a lot and of that's Conscious. and reflect that back to them. They're not aware that they do. Do you think then, when you, if you do play that, people would be accepting of that, or would they would they defend? Would they reject both. that? Both. I think any kind of feedback individuals go through a, a natural sort of 
filtering process. Yeah. Uh, their, their instant reaction is usually one of surprise, shock. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. How, how dare you say that? Who are you to give me that information? But if there's an element of respect there, maybe they skip that and they just skip to, to blatant anger or, or denial or yeah. refusal to, uh, to, uh, to acknowledge it. Uh, but that's usually a default sort of instantaneous gut reaction, if you like, a, a defensive protective mechanism. Uh, I don't want to lose face here. Especially if there are other people around, if it's yeah. not a safe environment, then that will naturally. And they will give you all sorts of justifications and reasons and excuses and explanations as to why they did what they did rather than what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but over time, <clears throat> that will normally percolate and uh, they'll sort of rationalise it and think, well, maybe there's, maybe there's something going on there that's worth me thinking about. Or if they disagree with feedback, and you know, not all feedback is valid. You know, some people give feedback for, for the wrong reasons or it's just perhaps one data point that someone's observed and it's not representative of everything and you can rightly refuse, reject that feedback and that's, once you've rationalised it you can decide whether or not to act on it or not Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully you can actually put it into practice, if, uh, you know, learn from something and you know, make things better. Mm. So uh, some people will be more open to that instantaneously, some may well need to, to sleep on it. It's it. interesting when you, when you if you if you um, expose that in a team environment. It's interesting how I wonder if that skews people's responses. If it's not if it's not socially acceptable to you know kind of react, hmm. whether people perhaps don't go through that process, whether people skew that reaction based on the people that are sitting around the table with them, yeah, and kind of that social awkwardness perhaps um, masks the true response and that's why I, th I think Scrum Masters have to be able to perhaps do some of these things individually as well as in a team setting it's not for me coaching isn't just about retrospectives it's, it's not just about multi multiple multiplayer coaching it's about your ability to speak to people on a on a on a one-to-one -one level mm -hmm and unearth their natural reactions that way, give people feedback. And I, I well, yeah, I, I know plenty of scrum masters that don't think that's part of their job, but for me, well, certainly when I was at Nokia, it was something in my diary once a week was to just check in with people, just have a chat, see, see how people are doing. And you should be, in a team of five, six people, you should be able to do that without too much, you know, time expectation. Yeah. And it definitely is a balance of coaching individuals and coaching teams. There'll be times when there'll be times when you need to intervene and, and coach the team as a whole, and times yeah. when actually just a little bit of a one-to-one, -one, a quiet chat would be more, more appropriate. Okay. Well, I oh. think uh, that was a that was a nice. Uh, my pint's finished. My pint's gone. Glasses it's are empty. It's been it's disappeared since then. We'll chink our, chink our glasses in another way. <laughs> With using sword Cheers. Bottles. Cheers, Jeff.